What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Security Squad podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reg Andre, Randy Bryan, Ryan O'Hara. How are you guys doing? Good. Awesome. Good How are you doing? I'm doing pretty damn good. That's good. So, got a good show for you guys today. We've got a bunch of things we want to talk about. Number one, there's a particular industry out there that is a super soft target right now. Um, I think the cyber criminals know it. Um, they know who they're targeting. They know who's easy to get to. We're going to talk about who that is and, and what people need to be aware of. Um, we got some information, you know, data, stuff we're going to wrap about around ransomware attacks increasing. And uh, not only increasing, but <clears throat> these ransomware groups are changing their tactics really fast. And we want to highlight what these changes are and what people need to be prepared for over the next three to six months. Um, and we got a hotel chain, a major one that was hit with a cyber attack over the Labor Day weekend. And as we said uh, around that time that we would in about three to six weeks start hearing stories of what happened over Labor Day weekend. And those stories are starting to come out. So you're going to want to hear what hotel chain, because you probably stayed there, um, has had a major cyber attack. So, Let's just jump right into it, guys. Um, before we do, though, Ryan, you want to I do that? I thought you were going to skip the fee. I, I was. I was. <laughs> you just got too excited. I think people know the fee by now, but go ahead and say Right, right. Well, we, we don't have a fee for our show. The, the, the fee is to like and subscribe so that you're aware of it and keep up to date with us, allow us to share this information with you. But more importantly, share it with people that you know. Um, you know one of the biggest reasons that we do this is, is we're trying to help people avoid being in these situations themselves, uh, figuring out what they don't know so that they can protect themselves, so they can manage their risk, uh, so they don't get in these situations where you know their business is uh, potentially going to go out of business overnight because they weren't protected and ready for this type of stuff. So sharing this information with somebody that you know uh, could be the difference between um, you know their business going out of business and them continuing to uh, uh, succeed and, uh, and move forward with their business. So help a friend out. Yeah, you guys do a great job with that. The show grows uh, every week, but we can always have it grow faster. Um, like we don't do ads. We don't bore you with, you know, in, in show commercials and things like that. Because um, really we're, the only reason we're doing this is because we care and we want to get that information onto the streets so people can start doing stuff, as Ryan pointed out. So, uh, you know, who isn't doing stuff is municipalities around the United States. Um, Taxpayer funded organizations um, have now become, I guess, kind of target number one, because if I if I look at things, you know, take a step back and look across different uh, industries, hospitals and and schools and municipalities seem to be the ones that we talked about the most. Now, hospitals, I think, uh, because, you know, it's very evident when you walk into a hospital and they can't operate normally and, they, and they're under, a, you know, the, a cyber attack. Um, and it gets in the news quicker than maybe, you know, an accounting office that got attacked because people might not notice so quickly. Um, unfortunately, with schools and municipalities, they have to report this uh, publicly because they are funded by taxpayers. So we find out about this stuff pretty quickly, especially when people can't get permits to build buildings, 
um, you know, can't get basic things like uh, birth certificates and what have you from these entities because they're shut down. So um, we have a county and it's Suffolk County. Is it, This is in Virginia, right, guys? Am I right or wrong on that? Uh, New York. Uh, New York. Oh, it's Suffolk, New York. Okay. So they're under attack uh, for a ransomware attack. It's basically shut down their whole entire county. So uh, I don't know if anyone wants to talk about this and pick up on it, um, knows what's going on. Randy, we have another county just, here. I was just laughing because the the thing is called, the, the article's from the Suffolk Times, and it just says this happened in Suffolk, so it doesn't really tell us which uh, state. So I mean, there's probably, what, two dozen Suffolk counties in, in the United States. Um you know, but it is in uh, New York, and um, apparently, back in January 2020, um, they, the woman who was hired to do their, to be their network administrator, uh, did a quick assessment of their cybersecurity, and it was absolutely minimal. So they knew that they had problems. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you guys feel about that? How do you guys feel when? I mean, this reminds me of Twitter, of the Twitter thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at a bigger level, that guy came in, basically said, "You're not doing enough," and he got fired. Um, and in this case, similar thing. This person came in, um, and this, you know, this guy came in and had to head the IT department. And he, the key move the town made is to improve its cybersecurity, but I guess they didn't improve it enough. Um, so what, what are your guys' thoughts on, on this when professionals come in and say things are not up to par, which we do a lot. The four of us do that a lot, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, you know, we're, we're, let the world know, like, like I have a very specific opinion on this. Um, what are your guys' thoughts and opinions on when you present findings to a client you know they have major problems and they choose to do nothing. I mean, specifically with this type of thing with municipalities and the reason that I, I think that they're such a soft target for hackers right now is a lot of times there's there's a bunch of people at the top making the decision. There's not really that single person. And so, you know, you're presenting this information to a board in a lot of cases. Um, and, and a lot of times that board uh, has, you know, for whatever reason, their their primary focus is financials, and we all know that to do things properly, good cybersecurity is going to cost money. Um, it, it's an expense for them. It's not something that they're going to see a, a quote unquote return on investment. So a lot of times it goes in one ear and out the other, and it, it can be a really tough sell because they're going to get that immediate bump from you know saving potential money versus protecting against something that may never come, and and that's where their mind's at. They don't know what they don't know. And they're thinking, you know, this isn't going to happen to us. And then when it does, everybody starts scrambling and pointing their fingers at each other. And that's that's a lot of times what we see, you know, in, in any environment where we come in and say you're not doing enough. You know, it, it's it's our job to do what we can to present the evidence and show that this stuff is really happening. Here's where your holes are. Here's what you need to do to protect yourself. But, um, you know, a lot of times they just don't make the, the, the decision that needs to be made. And then, you know, things happen. The, those, those holes that we pointed out get exploited. And... Oh, go ahead. Okay. And just, you know, we're talking here about accountability because we're, this article is saying that over four terabytes of data of, of, of 
and yeah, some of it may be public records, but then think of all the things that the government has on you, you know, your parking tickets, your, your, they could have social security information, so much, you know, personal information. And plus the employees of the, ah, the government workers. So for me, I think it all comes to accountability in the minute that workers, especially in the government, if they see that, look, this is minimal, this is not enough, we're going to get hacked. It needs to go to council, it needs to be an emergency meeting, it needs to be like equivalent to saying there's not enough fire, you know, uh, firemen or there's not enough police people and we need to do a, a, a hire as soon as possible to fill these positions. So for me, it needs to be that same way, it needs to be looked at that same urgency. I and guess. Okay. Well, just, you know, they said they came in and the cybersecurity was minimal. They did some hiring. And then there's a quote from the town supervisor saying that we have a quite a bit of security, including several firewalls. And then you look and see towards the end of the article what they actually implemented. And it says that they implemented backups since the attack. They didn't have a cybersecurity um, policy, but now they're looking into that. Um, it seems like they really didn't do a whole lot, uh, even though they knew there was an issue. Um, it sounds on the front end that to me, that's just a gobbledygook speak to try to throw people off the hunt. It sounds like they didn't do a whole lot. Um, now they're coming back in and they're monitoring for malicious activity, 24 seven monitoring email encryption. Like what does that have to do? I mean, obviously you, you can use email encryption. It's great. You can send an encrypted email. But that doesn't have anything to do with really for cybersecurity. I mean, does it? That's not going to keep people out of your system. It's going to keep people out of specific emails. They've switched to Google Cloud Services. Wow. I'm I'm thinking these guys don't know what they're doing is what it sounds like. They need to hire an outside firm. And, and that's not unusual for what we get when we talk to people. How, how often do they say, oh, I've got cybersecurity. I've got a firewall. And like that's their, their only – We encrypt know, our emails. Of it. So there's a couple of things – a couple of things. This attack happened a while ago. This is more kind of a post-mortem type of, of article. Um, and there's a couple of things here, because if you re read the article, it seems like that this county was doing the right things. Right. So one of the things they said you know, they have crime protection insurance against computer hackers with unauthorized access who attempt to transfer funds or securities to unauthorized accounts. That's not cyber insurance. That's crime protection. That's not cyber insurance. And I, I have that conversation with businesses all the time. They see like they have something like this written in their business owner's policy or their business policy, but that's not a cyber. So if you get ransomware, this particular coverage is not going to help you. Um, so they also kind of mismatch through this article different things that Suffolk County has done. Um, one of those things is that they upgraded their cybersecurity following the most recent attack. And they claim that they've invested more than 6.5 million in security since 2019 when it was the first New York municipality to contract with a vendor to conduct a tabletop security exercise to evaluate network weaknesses and develop enterprise responses to cyber incidents. Um, the cyber checkup, which, again, a cyber checkup and a tabletop exercise are two 
very different things. Uh, that helped the count. Now, what came out of that is they decided they needed to train uh, their employees and understand abilities to respond to a cyber threat and utilize this robust tabletop exercise to identify possible operating vulnerabilities. Um, it sounds like they're substituting tabletop exercise for assessment. Yeah. And it also sounds like that's the last time they did it. When, mm -hmm. if you're really doing tabletop exercises correctly, you're doing them on a regular basis, three, four times a year at a minimum. Um, I know companies that only do them once a year and I tell them you're not doing these enough. It's, it's not enough. Things change too much with technology in your business to only be doing it once a year. Um, by the time you get to that year, your, your infrastructure, the computers you have, all that stuff has changed, which impacts your, your, your response plan. So um, there's also information here that, you know, basically said, um, you know, they they did other things around, like as, as Randy said, you know, they did other things around cybersecurity. Um, and this is kind of why I wanted to bring this up, because it, like I said, it sounds like they're doing a lot. If you're reading this, it sounds like they're not completely burying their head in the sands around this thing. And I think six point five million dollars, you know, over the last three years, you know, is no chump change, right? There is a significant spend there if you're if you're a taxpayer and you're looking at that. But what did it actually do? And are you doing the right things? Um, that's the biggest question. Um, I look at things a little bit differently. I don't come out of the gate and do a tabletop exercise with my clients. And that's the first red flag that I see here. It's like it seems like they started with a tabletop exercise. Um which a tabletop exercise is really designed to make you understand if your incident response and your disaster recovery plan is good enough. It's not to design to highlight where you fall short around cybersecurity practices per se. And do you guys agree with that? Like, yeah, it's, it's more of a, like you said, Ryan, it sounds like they got more of a checkup or an assessment and I just don't know if the cybersecurity company kind of dubbed it as a tabletop exercise. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is this more of an issue of the the people who wrote the story uh, interchanged some some vocabulary there? Is it is it an issue where uh, the people that that worked there that they were interviewing um, were not as knowledgeable as they thought and were throwing out some buzzwords that didn't necessarily mean exactly what they thought? Um, or, you know, is the company that they hired not necessarily using the right terminology? But it seems like there's some things that are kind of interchanged here that mislead you. Yeah, because we're doing a little bit of a shorter show today and we're short on time, I don't want to spend too much more time on this. But, I mean, the big, the big takeaway here, and Randy and uh, Andre chime in here, but the big takeaway for me is, again, and I know I say this a lot, businesses think they're doing enough even when they do the littlest thing, like implement MFA, you know, implement uh, password managers, like you can't just do like one or two or three of these things and think you're good. And I think that's the case we have here. They did some things, but they didn't do enough to fully protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just not to disparage anybody, but I looked up the, the guy Chip who they hired as IT uh, system administrator 
yep. he, he was a database programmer for 20 year, 23 years prior to that. So okay. you, you go from that to cybersecurity. It's kind of like, wait, what, what, where's the, again, again, I'm, I'm, I'm beating this drum a lot with people now because we're seeing it a lot, especially mm -hmm. in the mid market where they move somebody from it into cybersecurity. And I'm really trying to educate companies and, and leaders mm -hmm. to tell them these people do not have, not only do they not have the skills to do these roles, they're not the right personality type to do these roles. And, and, and it doesn't even look like they had the role. It says they moved him to the head of the IT department to improve its cybersecurity. So it's not even a separation. It's it's right. an IT department head who they're putting uh, probably unfair responsibility to, to improve their cybersecurity. Just One more caveat. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, just like you wouldn't hire, you wouldn't take your best salesperson and make them your sales manager because they're two different personality styles. You know, and, and sales managers are not usually top sales people. They know how to run a team. They know how to make a team work. And you got to look at your cybersecurity the same way. And it, it happened. It's been happening since the late 90s. IT people are looked at like they can do everything, solve every problem as long as it's on the computer you know, that guy should be able to fix it. And that's absolutely not the case. Things are so specialized now that especially with cybersecurity and IT, they're two totally different personality types, in my opinion. Go ahead, Randy. I was just going to add that right now, cities in America, at least, don't have an excuse because the government recently passed a bill. They put, I think we talked about it, what it was like 800 million um, for governments um, to uh, be able to apply for for cybersecurity, like we need to get cyber secure. Um, most likely, there's funding out there that can help can help you with this. Um, we're actually meeting with a small uh, local town today to discuss that very thing with them. Hopefully, keep them from being the next uh, next victim like this town we just discussed. Yep. So you know, one article that I have. Um, that I was looking at when I was researching for the show today basically says that in the past 12 months, so some, since October or September of last year, 20% um, of all reported ransomware attacks have occurred in the last 12 months. And most of them are coming from phishing. And the biggest takeaway is, is again, like we we're saying, disaster plans are lacking. Businesses are underprepared for if they're targeted in a ransomware attack. They don't have disaster recovery plans in place. They're not working on incident response plans. And, you know, I guess it's because people just don't think they're going to get hit. So why do I need to prepare for a response when I don't even think I'm going to get hit, right? And I, I got to believe that that's part mm -hmm. of the reason behind why businesses are not doing tabletop exercises on a more regular basis than once every couple of years. We just got an RFP, which we don't respond to RFPs, but we got one from a company who was like, we want your price and this is what we want included and blah, blah, blah. And we want a, um, we want a ransom. We want a cybersecurity assessment done every two years. And I just replied back. I was like, we this doesn't meet our standards. We do cybersecurity assessments way more frequently than every two years. I didn't tell them how much we did it, but I told them, 
you know, we do it more than, you know, once every two years, cause that's not enough. Like you just got to do this stuff way more. Um, you know, basically saying, you know, this article, 16% of businesses that responded on a survey of about 2000 businesses reported having no disaster recovery plan in place as compared to 19% in 2022. Um, I think cyber insurance is driving that number down, but you still have a lot of companies who have nothing in place, which if they have cyber insurance and they don't have these things, good luck getting that to pay. Um, so anything else you want to add to that before I move on? I also think it's a false notion that because a lot of people are now having their data in the cloud, they're just thinking that, okay, I can just, you know, re-download it and just call it a day, but there's just so much more implementation. Okay, fine. Even if you have the data in the cloud, but what if the hackers have the data? What if your, you know, your other equipment is affected? There's so much more than just re-downloading something from SharePoint or Dropbox. Well, let's talk about that because that's one of the things we wanted to bring up, which is, you know, you know, a, a couple of things around ransomware groups evolving and changing, right? And there, there were two big points that we talked about that we wanted to bring up on the show. One of them is changing their tactics, right? So like you said, they're going into the cloud and they're deleting your shit. Like they're just deleting. Mm -hmm. Like they're not, they're not encrypting it. They're not exfiltrating it. They're just deleting it. Um, and now we're starting to see that become a tactic for ransomware itself or, or what, what, what was known as ransomware. These guys are changing their tactics. A couple of reasons why, and I'm going to hit them real quick and then you guys can comment. Number one, it's expensive to write ransomware software to, for these guys, you know, that actually works. It actually encrypts files and then can decrypt it on the back end. So they're starting to figure out that just going in and deleting or corrupt, corrupting your data still gets them paid because they're taking your data first and that data is good. And then if they just corrupt what's on your network, if you don't have good backups, you kind of have to pay them and they're still going to use double extortion as a threat as well. So if you have social security numbers, ACH, they're going to re release that stuff out to the public and you're going to end up getting sued and you're going to pay when that stuff gets released. So they look at a couple things here. They look at the ability to be not detected when they're doing this type of behavior, because right now cyber defenders are looking for behavior on the computer where software is encrypting files. If that's not happening and all they're doing is corrupting the file, well, then your, your endpoint protection, the security you have in place is not going to detect this and it's going to make them more successful. This is the cat and mouse game, right? Yep. Um, but at the same time, they're also just corrupting your files, deleting it, and then extorting you that way, which makes this a lot more scarier because now they don't have to develop this ransomware software that does all these crazy things. They can just drop a text file on every folder on your network saying, hey, call us because you can't open files because we just corrupted everything on your network. Uh, and that's where this is going. And this, And I believe... This is going to be local networks inside of businesses and cloud services where they will corrupt. They will get a backup of it. They will take it. They will exfiltrate it and then they'll corrupt it and they'll tell you, I got to pay. You got to pay. It's a it's a I mean, it's a for them. It's it's only an upper edge for a small amount of time. Technology already exists to monitor changes in files 
um, to have like freeze points with files. I mean, this would just be like they'll have the upper edge, like you said, cat and mouse game. If you have it set up correctly. Yeah. If you, if you have an IT professional who would go in like you and set those things up. So in the event, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of people have IT people hired doing get that they're paying that don't realize that you can't just pull something out of a box and plug it into the network without doing some other configuring to make things a little bit more secure, like Randy mentioned. Um, I don't have a whole lot of faith in that, Randy. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you're you and I are not normal in terms of the things that we do to protect our clients. Um, so you know, I, the reason I say that is because people automatically think, hey, I got a guy. He's taking care of me. Right. Probably not. Right. It's not that they're lying to you. It's just that that's what they do. And and you're assuming that they are taking care of all of that because you don't really understand what the big picture is. And that, that's where we're trying yeah. to help educate people that this stuff yeah. is really going on. I mean, and to the point about, you know, taking things and just plugging them in. Uh, most of these things, you know, large or small, are designed by those vendors and those manufacturers to be user friendly, to just work and, and go. They have the security features in most cases, but it's on you to, to make sure that you implement them. Mm -hmm. Their job is getting those things sold and making them easy for you to use and giving you capabilities. It's your job to make sure that those capabilities are, are utilized to their, their fullest extent. In mm -hmm. a nutshell, you're responsible for your own security. Mm -hmm. That's it. So uh, moving right along and just kind of along the same theme of um, changing what these groups do to change their tactics. One tactic that we talk about, and we'll, we'll touch on this briefly, is you're, you're, we're starting to hear about a lot of new ransomware groups, right? New names, right? And what I say is it's, it's usually the same people on the back end of it. They're just changing the name of the company, changing the branding. We've gone into this on the show before as to why this happens. Um, you know, why these, why these guys constantly change um, a number one, they're criminals. Um, so, you know, imagine what happens in a criminal organization when people get jealous because, you know, they feel like they're pulling more of their weight, but they're not getting paid as much on the back end, things like that. Politics, come into play with these groups and they fracture and they splinter the fed, the feds or, or the, you know, authorities get on them. So they, they, you know, disperse. Um, and sometimes those groups don't come back together and these guys still have the talents to do what they do. So they form other groups, form mm -hmm. other relationships. Um, and because of just the state of the way things are, this happens very rapidly um, and, and the, they want to be evasive because the more that they stay in one place or the more they stay as one organization, it seems like um, the easier it is for, you know, the, the authorities to kind of find them and track them down. Um, so we're seeing a new crop of new names come up with groups like we have this one called the New Royal Ransomware. And there's probably like three or four others that cropped up in the last couple of weeks. And I just want to get your guys thoughts on like you know, what they're doing here, why they're doing it, and maybe your perspectives on, you know, the challenges that are presented by this cat and mouse behavior that we see at this level. We just talked about it at the level of like the tools they use, but at the level of, you know, these organizations and who they are. Um, what are your guys' feelings on all this? 
I, I agree. I think it's a combination of, of them trying to stay one step ahead of the authorities and, and, and mask their presence. But, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, politics going on in the background uh, where, you know, they're, they're separating. So you've got one large group today and tomorrow it's, it's six small groups uh, for various reasons. Um, then some of them are still working together. So they may be different organizations, but uh, sharing information here and there. Um, it's just, it's, it's beneficial to them to, to operate that way. It allows them to stay one step ahead, allows them to keep developing this stuff and, uh, you know, being ahead of the people that are, are meant to protect against it. You, you mentioned that sometimes, I think you said division, but what the word you said, sometimes they're, they're splitting apart. You have to keep in mind, this is basic human nature. These are criminal organizations. Um, and there's never been a history of criminal organizations working together forever they always end up turning on each other you know what i mean they're they're going to distrust each other or whatever reason so they'll come together for a while and then they'll split up and you know new things will form but yeah good point i also see it as an entrepreneurship spirit you know if i'm making 30 dollars a year and then all i see these big ransomware payouts and i'm reading the news that such and such corporation paid you know 10 million dollars and i'm making this little money here I'm like, hey, I can do this myself. You know, I'm going to try it myself and go on my own. So one of the big things uh, I'm going to leave everybody with, just so they're a little bit more educated and smarter about this new group who is very successful, and we're going to hear more about them. Um, you know, th this is a group that went from uh, using other ransomware operators, ransomware tools to building their own. Um, and they are using some pretty new phishing tactics to get people to trick. And they like to use uh, the impersonate food delivery services, software providers, and um, subscription renewals, like fake subscription renewals. One screenshot that I have has them sending a Capital One shopping uh, promo code. Um, you know, every time I log into my Capital One account, I'm constantly bombarded with, hey, you know, download our toolbar, um, you know, and, and you'll get coupons or we'll search the Internet automatically for the cheapest price. And, you know, they're basically creating um, phishing emails that look very much like they came from Capital One shopping. Um, question would be, with all the training you're doing. Would your employees be able to spot that? You know, we're mm -hmm. training them to spot, you know, things like Google logins and Microsoft logins and messages from the CEO. Um, you know, there's no end to the to the angle that these guys can take to try to trick your employees. Um, and my fear is, is that we're training people a certain way. Um where we're teaching them specific email types that they should be looking for uh, when the reality of it is, is it could be anything. It could be anything sent to your inbox that could be an attempt to, you know, get into your system. Don't trust anything. hundred uh, percent. And people don't believe it, but that's why we point it out. So mm -hmm. these groups are constantly, constantly evaluating their methods and techniques to try to get you to click. Um, and obviously figured out that Capital One shopping coupon codes, clicking on them, especially when people feel like they're going into a recession and they need to save money, what a perfect way to trick somebody into getting ransomware. So, all right, guys, we'll wrap this up real quick. 
uh, spend about two minutes and we'll wrap up the show. Cyber attacks on intercontinental hotels disrupts businesses at franchisees. So this is another hotel chain. Marriott is kind of like the, uh, the godfather of cyber attacks when it comes to hotel chains. And this particular one is IHG, which has 17 brands of hotels located around the world. You've stayed at a Holiday Inn. You've stayed in an IHG property. So um, that's that's the big chain here that was hit that we wanted to kind of tell everybody about. Um, anybody know any details about what happened at the hotel uh, firm? I do know it happened over Labor Day weekend. This is one of the things I mentioned at the top of the show that you know we were going to cover an attack that was hit over Labor Day weekend. As we said before, these things take a while to come out now. We're almost a month in uh, since this attack and uh, we're finally hearing about it. So um, basically saying the same thing that they always say, though, we have not identified any evidence of unauthorized access to guest data uh, and they remain focused on supporting our hotels and owners throughout this period. Um, sounds like the hotel operators, I guess, are, are, are separate from this company, almost like in a franchisee format. Mm -hmm. And they're going to sue this parent company uh, because they weren't able to basically run their hotels because of this attack. Yeah, and it, it, it's saying that the, the the owner surveyed lost anywhere between thirty thousand and seventy five thousand each per hotel. So, yep. So it doesn't it, it doesn't say how many that was, but there's there's a lot of money involved here. Yeah. And the Google reviews, right? And, sure. and who's going to want to come back to your hotel after Labor Day weekend? I'm visiting. I'm you know going to party. I'm going to relax, and you know I'll never forget that hotel. And I'll make sure all my friends know about it as well. So one of the things that was cited in the lawsuit, and try to be quick on this, uh, one of the guys who one of the hotel owners who filed the class action lawsuit stated, "We're worried about our financial stability when we didn't get hacked." And I got I to gotta tell you, because I have a lot of conversations with business owners and I tell them this all the time. You have to look at the systems that your company relies on to operate and determine if that system was not available to me, how would I make money? How would I continue mm -hmm. to operate? I always cite the Kronos attack and how long that took for that system to get back up, which was many months that companies had struggled to do paid time off, to do payroll, to do overtime, um, which caused a lot of problems in a lot of companies when they couldn't pay their people properly for a very long period of time. Um, you know, think about the systems you use in your business, you know, cloud-based systems or other systems that you don't own, that somebody else runs for you, um, that you're maybe buying. Uh, think about those and think about if they got attacked and they were down, how that would impact your business. Yeah, I could see the hotel owner thinking, okay, well, I'm under the you know Marriott franchise. They've got everything covered. And then that's the last thing on my mind. Because really the, the the franchise owner, the hotel operator, it, it looks like it wasn't their fault. It was a it was a bigger issue that they really couldn't mm -hmm. control. But it's more about how do you like you said, Brian, how do you plan for Microsoft going down, Kronos going down? What is your backup plan? Yeah. 100%. And that's why. Also, I can, you know, look at this situation and go, they didn't have a comprehensive, you know, these hotels, each individual one did not have a comprehensive cybersecurity evaluation in place, right? Because they would have looked at how critical this system was to their to them generating revenue 
and you would have identified this as a potential risk. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like these guys were completely caught flat-footed when this system was, was not available to them. So lesson learned here, folks, yep. make sure you're evaluating everything you possibly can. Um, and don't, you know, don't outsource uh, your security and your thought that your, you know, your peace of mind is, you know, the fact that, oh, we, like Andre said, we're working with this big company. They got to have it, you know, secured. You need to own the responsibility of your security. Well, of your business operations, right? You know, of your security and being able to operate. And you can't blame, you can't point the figure at a third party company because their system is not available to you. Yeah. Also, I, I think I, IHG should have also, you know, if you're going to provide us the, the main solution, also just say, hey, in case this doesn't happen, this could be a potential backup plan that you can use. So even when Kronos, when that happened, they should have then sent out emails to everybody say, okay, this system's not working. These are best practices you should be doing too. Jake, they did do, um, you know, early on with Kronos, they kind of said, find other means for running payroll. Um, which, you know, can be taken either way. You're either writing out handwritten checks or you're going to find another provider. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, I find it interesting. It's a little different, right? You can choose whether you want to use Kronos or not, right? In these cases, you might not have a choice to use another yeah. booking system. So, you know, they may be forced to use a system that was insecure that basically prevented them from being able to do business. Yep. So, yeah. all right, guys, I appreciate it. Looks like Randy had to leave us early. So yeah. um, I got to go myself. Thanks for your time, everybody. Remember, share the show, get this information out to your friends and family and reach out to any one of us if you ever need help with this stuff. So take care, everyone. We'll see you. Take care.